Hey everyone, we got a special episode for you because we're releasing a special hot sauce today. So you know me as the host of the Craft Hot Sauce podcast, and I've also on other podcasts have talked about uh, my own hot sauce brand, Crack Sauce. So today we are just releasing a collab hot sauce called the Merrimack Black. This is our first time we've worked with other folks on the recipe, and it definitely kind of put us outside of our comfort zone. So decided to share uh, interviews with the other people that were working with me on the hot sauce. So we have Emily from F Word Farm uh, talking all about food fermenting and foraging. And she took uh, beer from another collab partner, Navigation Brewery, who provided some black pepper porter. And Emily turned that into a vinegar. So she talks all about uh, the process of making vinegars. We also She also grew some chocolate scorpion peppers that we talk about, that heat and some of the other peppers she's grown. And then we also talked to Andre K. Mills, who is from Jamaica, and talked about uh, kind of the scorpion peppers and scotch bonnet peppers where he's from and him moving to Lowell at a, a young age. And all of us kind of really talk about the artist and maker community in Lowell and, and talking about collaboration. So we're actually going to be releasing the hot sauce together uh, in person at Navigation Brewery on March 11th. Uh, it's going to be a really fun night. They're kind of doing their St. Patrick's Day party and kickoff uh, that evening. So we'll, we're going to be there selling uh, the hot sauce. So all 100% of the proceeds are also going to be going to the Jack Kerouac Foundation. But this was, uh, before we get into the interviews, I did want to talk about how this came to be. Um, so I do a bunch of farmer's markets, and, and so does my the kind of the crack crew that we're, uh, we got a, a team that, that's growing, a uh, little shameless plug, we're, we're hiring. So check out our, our website on cracksauce.com uh, for some of the jobs that we're hiring locally here around Lowell. But we get asked a lot, is like, hey, like, do you have a new hot sauce this week? And I, I have so many ideas and, and I, I really like messing around with new hot sauces. But for me to uh, get my certifications, to get a label done, um, to coordinate with farmers, to get the produce, uh, and it, it's a lot of effort. But I got these chocolate scorpion peppers and Carolina Reapers and uh, lemon starburst peppers that Emily was growing there. They're just beautiful. And, and so I, I was like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with these, but it, it might be something. Uh, and at the same time, I was seeing what she was doing with vinegars. And it got me thinking, I was like, hey, I use, I, I've thought about using different vinegars. I, I know that quality really matters with food. Um, but I haven't really gone too deep into the realm of exploring vinegars. And as soon as the pepper season ended, Emily was doing a bunch of uh, experimenting with vinegars. So uh, I would definitely check out her feed. You're going to definitely want to after hearing her interview and, and just seeing what she's doing. But she was, uh, we, we talked about doing a vinegar with uh, a beer and a partner with a brewery. And so that was something that, when you got chocolate scorpion peppers, I'm a big fan of stouts. And so we're thinking kind of like a, a porter or a stout vinegar. And then now you're just thinking about, okay, we're, we're going to make a black hot sauce. Uh, so we're thinking, uh, I love black garlic and, and she does too. So we, we did some black garlic and then, uh, 
I was talking with, uh, I think, Bruce uh, from Hoot Sauce on the last podcast, and and, uh, you're about to hear from Chris Schlesinger uh, in the next podcast about cooking over fire. And that got me intrigued about cooking a lot of these ingredients, um, getting them charred, getting them dark, uh, and get that smoky, savory flavor uh, that can also be kind of sweet and nutty um, when you're caramelizing these ingredients. Um, So the recipe, what happened is we, we... Put, we cooked it and roasted these peppers over fire. So we got the chocolate scorpion. We have some jalapeno and poblano peppers. And we also uh, smoked these Japanese sweet potatoes, some carrots, and uh, onions to get them a nice little char before we caramelized them. Uh, and then when we were caramelizing them in the tilt skillet, um, we deglazed them with some of this black pepper porter to get that real rich full caramelized like it's a really full flavor but then we added some dried plums to get a a really nice sweetness that that didn't overwhelm it um, but this one's hot the, the scorpion pepper i was just amazed how hot it is uh we had uh it was kind of nine parts uh jalapeno and poblano to one part chocolate scorpion and that heat definitely comes through so, I mean, I, I would recommend, uh, e- even if you're not going to be like really bringing this to market, we, we did 300 bottles and, and uh, that, that's all they're going to be. Uh, and maybe we'll do this again in the future based on the response. Um, but it, it definitely pushed me out of my comfort zone and learned a lot through working with other folks. And it's fun to, to share it out. So definitely uh check out these interviews that we're listening if you're in the area please come down to western ave studios at navigation brewery on friday Um, but definitely check out that space some other time to see all the artists and and community uh, folks there and if you're far away i hope you enjoy these interviews learn more about these people's passions and what they're working on and definitely recommend but with you kind of checking out uh, who's around in your local area Um, the Music, of course, is the party band by Lowell with their song Mud. So I'll, I'll be selling their CDs at this booth. I, I still have a CD player in my car. I, I rock this CD. And it's probably the most I've ever played a CD. They're a brilliant brass band in Lowell. Tons of fun to see them live. Um, but they're also a ton of fun to listen to right now. So you're going to hear uh, the beginning of the song mud by the party band and their whole song will be played at the end definitely if you can't buy their cd in person check out their band camp the party band lowell so let's go amazing how the variety of flavor that you can get from really any product I mean you know like I I make vinegar out of pretty much everything um 
you know, particularly like scrap vinegars, like taking like carrot peels that you might compost and turning that into vinegar. And you have like that essence of carrot that gets kind of almost amplified in the initial fermentation process in terms of like turning that first, that first step of making vinegar is always making alcohol. And then the alcohol gets turned into the vinegar itself. And so like that initial step of making that vinegar, like the microbes that are responsible for that, um, sorry, for making the alcohol, it, it amplifies like that carrot flavor in that initial step. So you have a lot of that like character of the carrot or whatever other scrap you're using in the final product, even though, you know, it is vinegar and vinegar has that bite, you still have so much character in that. So is, is it like a double fermentation process? Yeah. So it's basically like a two-step process. So the first process is that the sugar gets converted by yeast into alcohol, and then you have like alcohol molecules essentially. And then that alcohol is food basically for the acetic acid molecules that then, or microbes, I should say, sorry, that move in and then eat the alcohol and turn that into vinegar. And the mother is what? So the mother gets produced during that process. So when that alcohol gets eaten by the acetic acid, um, the production, it produces cellulose and some other like bits of that cellulose is what the mother is made up of primarily. And then in that mother, there are the acetic acid uh, bacteria that is in that mother. So it becomes like a cultural culture, uh, a colony of culture. Um, so that that's what accelerates the process because you're basically, when you're adding mother to something you're trying to turn into a vinegar, you're kind of jumpstarting that process by adding in all of these acetic acid bacteria that's contained within this mother that is this like cellulose product that looks a lot like a scoby yeah. it actually looks just like a scoby yeah yeah from yeah, it, it was it, you sent a picture we'll have to to share it somewhere but it, it was a, yeah. a mother of a mother um, yeah with, with the one <laughs> from uh the, the beer and yeah the longer it goes like the thicker it will get um but like mothers also vary. Um, you can have different looking mothers <laughs> based on what you're turning into vinegar, which is kind of funny. So do you think like the, the taste changes a couple times? Like, cause like, I, I'd imagine when you were saying like, you're taking the whatever, like you've done so many things, from, like you mentioned carrot, uh, carrot scraps, but you've also done banana. This mm-hmm. one in, in the Merrimack black was, uh, a porter vinegar or porter beer that, um, but do you think that like as fermentation, I know most fermentation, most familiarly myself with, uh, mm-hmm. peppers and beets and other vegetables, but the, the flavor really evolved. So does that when it's going in the vinegar, uh, so the second fermentation, what do you think that also, really changes the flavor dynamic. Oh, definitely. And so like, you know, there, there will be steps along the way when things are converting into vinegar that you might be like, oh, this smells, uh, like nail polish remover, because one of the first steps actually in converting, um, alcohol into acetic acid, which is vinegar, 
um, is the production of acetone. So it will give off. And that is like the primary thing you smell in nail polish remover. So when you smell that it's good news because it means that the process is uh, progressing. And so that stage of the flavor might not always be great. So just let it go a little bit longer. Um, and then it will start to develop some really cool, um, flavors. It will keep a lot of the inherent flavor of what you started with, but then of course it will give you that kind of biting vinegar flavor, um, that is delicious. And then, you know, there's also another step that you can take after the vinegar has, you know, quote unquote finished. Um, and, and it's to your liking, which really you can, you can tell when you're making it at home by, by smelling it, you can really smell that vinegar smell. You can taste it. And, and that's really like what, uh, what tells you that it's done. And then if you age it, there's also another kind of transformation of flavor that can happen as it ages in a bottle. Um, and it kind of starts to mellow and some of the characteristics can, can evolve, um, over time through the aging process, even just in a regular bottle. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Can you describe how this vinegar came out? Like, I I think people will taste it and get some of the elements, but I guess maybe from, from your perspective, what was fun or different or, or what, what did you learn, uh, doing, these uh, transformations with, with navigation, uh, navigation breweries beer. I think using the, like the beer already had an awesome flavor. And I, what I really loved about the vinegar is that it, it took that base flavor of this really nice quarter that, um, that navigation brewery made. And then it kept that, but then it added another layer by introducing that sort of sourness of the vinegar. So it has like a little bit of that sweetness that the porter had, the pepper porter had to begin with. And then it added another layer onto it by introducing that, you know, sourness that you get from a vinegar. And it, it ended up being really nice. It was, I had uh, some that I made from another one of their beers, uh, the milk stout. And I had some of that on um, some roasted potato and sausage and it was just divine yeah (laughs) yeah i i and i i have a like probably like three or four ounces of it that uh uh and and i yeah i was putting on some some brussels sprouts and cooking with it but it's um, yeah i didn't uh one of my old kitchen mates uh, at where i I cook out of in lowell he did vinegars and and that's what really opened my mind to using them and cooking and every and every day almost kind of an extension of salt and pepper um because you can get these amazing flavors but it just what it can do to some of the food just balance it out and and uh it's um so yeah i'm definitely like digging vinegar uh right now yeah yeah just like you i mean like you're saying that that's totally correct like it it really I'm starting to realize more and more that it is almost like a salt, you know, because it's, it's adding just something like if something, if I taste something and I'm like, something is missing, I'll add vinegar and I'll be like, and I'll start with a little bit and I'll taste it. And it's an amplifier of flavor and it's, it, it has so many uses. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Emily, I should have done a, a more of a, proper intro, but I will say this is an explicit podcast. So what, what does, uh, give us an intro to F word farm. (laughs) So, 
so it's kind of funny how the name came to be. I mean, and people that know me know that I'm not a stranger to swearing. Um, but but I, I was talking to a friend and I was saying, you know, I really need to come up with a name for the farm. And, you know, I'm doing like, it's a lot of farming and it's food, it's fermentation, and I'm doing foraging as well. And he's like, oh, it's all the F words. And I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, yeah, F word farm was kind of uh, named there. Um, I, that, that's awesome. Yeah. It seems like that's like kind of the thing that I just like, boom. Yep. Got it. Like that. Yeah. That, that's I, I, I love the name. And, and, and it's yeah. so like, yeah, I, you, you do so much, which uh, like it's, and it all fits, fits in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was trying to come up with a name that could kind of encapsulate everything. Cause there is a range of things happening over at F word farm. Um, and so like that just kind of was was the perfect fit so and I always get a laugh when I tell people the name so that's always good for me too <laughs> yeah well I, I like I feel like every time I talk to you I learn a lot and and you're, you're there's a lot more that you're telling me that I'm just not quite able to absorb <laughs> but like every time I, I, I'm absorbing more and everything but how long have you been doing this I, I'm just curious like if, if you could take me back to when you started getting into fermentation and foraging. Yeah. So I, I started, um, well, I started the farm about three years ago now. Um, and you know, I started the farm because I've always been really interested in, in the environment and I've always been kind of trying to figure out a way that I can do my best to kind of protect the environment and what I kind of came up with was that what I can do is take care of like the soil and the earth that I'm on currently and so you know I started really with farming and growing my own stuff and then that turned into okay now how do I make sure that I'm utilizing every part of what I'm growing and really fermentation was kind of like kind of took off from the farming part of it, because now I have this way to preserve what I'm growing. And then you get more into fermentation and you realize, oh, like there's all of this also flavor potential. And so, you know, it becomes this whole rabbit hole of the more you learn, the less, you know, and the more curious you get. And it's just like that then led me to lacto-fermentation um, kind of led me into like, so the first thing I made was actually a fermented hot sauce. Um, and I kind of started there and then I started making like fermented pickles, um, and pickles can be anything like, you know, radishes or, or beets or carrots, like those root crops really take well to, um, fermentation because they maintain their character and their firmness. Um, and then that sort of led me into, you know, I, I had been doing kombucha for a while, but kombucha and, and vinegar and, and all of that kind of stuff. And then that led me into koji, which is kind of like fermentation graduation <laughs> level a little bit. Um, yeah. And koji, koji is something that, you know, is uh, not as well known yet. Um, it's a beneficial food mold that's like part of miso and soy sauce and sake. And, and so that's something that is, is kind of on the come up and that will be, you know, it's like kind of like salt plus it's, it's a, the real like food enhancer that, um, that will become a thing in the next, you know, 10 or so years. I think it will be the new 
the new salt. <laughs> wow. So can you kind of describe Koji as like, yeah. I guess what it is, but like kind of the form. So Koji it's, so I found that when I started learning about it, it, it took me, it took me a little bit to really envision what it was until I started to, to see it and to grow it myself and to smell it. Um, so it's basically like, it's kind of like a mushroom because it is a, it is a fungus. And so you have these, um, spores, just like you would have with a mushroom that you inoculate a substrate with, which is typically rice or barley. So you take these spores of, to grow koji and you grow it on rice or barley, which is, you can think of as like the soil. And then mm-hmm. that rice or barley turns into koji by, you know, kind of like infiltrating the rice or the barley and turning it into essentially, I call it like a bunch of little scissors and those scissors are enzymes. And so not to get too scientific, but enzymes just basically break down bigger molecules like proteins and, and carbohydrates into smaller ones. So like they'll take a protein molecule and they'll come up and they'll snip it with their enzyme scissors and they'll break that down into simpler amino acids. And that's like the building block of life basically. And, and it's the thing that's responsible for us tasting umami. And so like the smaller, the molecules, the faster our tongues can taste things like that. And so you have the proteins that get broken down and you also have carbohydrates, which then get broken down into simple sugar. So you can have something that's like super umami flavor, um, that you taste really fast. And you can also have a very fast sugar development, um, because it's breaking down those complicated carbohydrates into simple sugars and, and tasting really, really sweet, like on your tongue. And so, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's a little bit of a complicated process because you, you start with that step, you grow the koji. Now the koji is the barley or the rice. And then you add that to something else to start breaking it down and make, make whatever you're adding it to taste more like itself. And also just create this like really incredible, uh, depth of flavor. And, and is that process through, uh, like you, you could just mix it and, and it happened yep. instantly in, in cooking or, or is that all, is that yep. a longer so, process too? Yeah. And it's, so it depends. So it depends on the medium. So like for example, um, there's something that's called Amazaki. So these are the two easiest kind of introductions to Koji and how you would add it to um, a product. So the fastest way is an Amazaki is basically water, Koji, and usually like rice. And you combine those things together. And what happens is the water allows the Koji enzymes to move around faster. Like you can kind of like they're like swimming around really quick and they're, they're able to move quicker because they have more mobility via the water. That's not exactly how it works, but that's just like kind of a good way to picture it. Um, and so that allows that breakdown of the rice that you have added to the, um, Amazaki to, to get broken down really quickly. And if you hold it at a higher temperature, for example, at like 140 degrees, um, you don't want to hold it higher. Um, it will increase that rate of scissor snipping. And so you'll have these little enzyme molecules like moving around really fast in this liquid solution, cutting up the carbohydrates into smaller ones. And you'll get like basically like almost sugar 
um, in just 10 hours it can be because you've increased the rate of reaction by increasing the temperature and mm -hmm. adding water, which increases their motility. And so, yeah, you basically get something really fast. And so now you have this like essentially sugar replacement um, that you can use. People do use it as a sugar replacement in baking and things like that um, in, in jams. Um, but you can also then use that as a marinade for meat. And so that's, that's the real beauty of, of Koji is that like, it will make, you know, like you can marinate, um, fish or chicken or steak with that amazaki and you get a really moist and product. And you're also releasing some of that flavor because that amazaki or the, or the shio Koji is breaking it down. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. It's really, it's really incredible. It's, it's something that blows my mind. Every time I grow it, the smell of it just is intoxicating. It smells so beautiful. Wow. Um, it's really hard to describe. It's like, it's kind of like nothing I've ever smelled before. And I smell everything. Um, it smells like, like apricots and like, just like a, just like a rich caramel sometimes. And it's just, it's so, so beautiful. Um, and then the other version of that is a shiokoji, which is Basically it's salt and water and the koji. And then that typically you would leave that out um, at room temperature. So it's a little bit slower of a process for about five to seven days. And then you, that is basically your marinade that, that works very quickly on, on proteins and, and things like that in terms of breaking them down a little bit and releasing flavor. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, it's just like, it, it took, it, it was kind of a long way to kind of blow my mind there, but I mean, I can just picture and imagine how complex those flavors are and how useful yeah. it is in every food yeah. and how sustainable it is. And yeah. I think they're just so like, the more I learn about fermentation, I just learn about the benefits for so many reasons. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I, we just don't really see it around us as much. Yeah. I mean, Right. I think people like you are, are great in educating other people and just sharing your products, but do you see fermentation becoming kind of, um, kind of just seeing it around us more? I mean, it Oh, definitely. De definitely. And I think, you know, that that's, um, definitely a goal of mine as well to kind of, that's part of the reason I have the F word farm Instagram account and things like that is because I want to show people how easy just basic fermentation can be. Like I know Koji, I just explained and it's a bit com complex and, but just basic fermentation is so accessible and has been being done for, you know, literally like thousands of years. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, there's not a high barrier to entry on that. Like you literally to do fermentation just need a, a container to do something in the vegetable or what have you that you want to ferment and salt and, yep. and you're ready to go. Um, and so I definitely think that it is, it is gaining a lot more attention. Um, there's a lot more people that are, are fermenting that are, are trying to make, you know, different kinds of, um, pickled vegetables via fermentation and starting to realize too, the health benefits that, that come from that, because, Basically, you know, people talk about probiotics now and probiotics that are in yogurt and things like that. And some people um, are even taking them as capsules, but something that's really interesting um, in some studies that I've read uh, talk about how, you know, there is probably an increased chance of adding 
probiotics that actually get to your gut, because what's happening when you, when you take a capsule of probiotics, it meets your stomach and your stomach has a very high, um, I'm sorry, a very low pH. It's a very acidic environment. And so what they think is that a lot of the probiotics that get delivered via a capsule actually get destroyed because your stomach acid is killing them off. However, when you're consuming quote unquote probiotics, and that's a controversial word to use, but <laughs> when you're consuming the probiotics that you're growing yourself, when you're lacto-fermenting vegetables or what have you, they're growing up in an acidic environment. So when you take those into your body and they're meeting your stomach that has this really acidic, you know, environment, mm. they, they aren't killed off because that's how they grew up. And so, you know, they have a higher likelihood of making it to your intestines where you really want those quote unquote probiotics to be, um, which is yeah. super fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It just comes to back to like, but... I think just like planting and farming, it's all, it's all connected. Which I, 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 really I can sense like your knowledge on all this, it, it, it kind of builds upon itself. Uh, would you yeah. agree? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it is. It's like, you know, and like I said, like the, the more, the more you learn, you, you sort of feel like the less, you know, and like the <laughs> more you want to learn because there's, yeah. there's so many so many things to dive into and be excited about. And I mean, I think for me, the, the biggest excitement that I have around fermentation is that it's a way to, to really maximize everything that is grown because everything that we take from the earth, whether it be an animal or a plant, like all deserves so much respect. And I think like using all of it is a really way to kind of pay the respect to to what the planet is giving us to, and, and it's good for us. So it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of like a win-win, you know? I love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You also grew these incredible chocolate scorpion peppers and, oh, yeah. and, and also like I, when I, I visited your farm this summer and it was so I've never seen anything like it with the, uh, <laughs> the variety of pepper plants and they're just, some of them are pretty much all of them, but they were so different and beautiful. Like some of the yeah. leaves that we we're doing. So I don't know if, mm -hmm. if you want to shout out to any uh, of your favorite peppers from, from last year and also just give a kind of a, a little maybe preview of some of the flavor coming from the, the chocolate scorpion. Yeah. The chocolate scorpion honestly was one of my favorite peppers and obviously it's quite hot. Um, and I'm, you know, not eating super hot on a regular <laughs> basis, but, the, but not, not even at them. that, yeah, yeah, not usually, but it had like really just like a, like a fruitiness, but also kind of like a deeper flavor that obviously you get when you add it to another, a sauce, but it just had just a really beautiful flavor outside of just heat. Like, you know, you have reapers and those really just kind of like knock your socks off, but the chocolate scorpion had, had a complicated flavor. Like and I don't know if I just think it has chocolatey notes because it's gorgeous and chocolatey no, color, yeah, yeah, exactly. but it really yep. does seem to, you know, like, yep, and, yep. and then I think that, you know, pairing it with like the black garlic that you added is, is a perfect kind of marriage because, um, the black garlic brings in also that kind of beautiful, like deep, sweet, and a like tiny bit sour flavor. And it just, those two things together, I think 
are a beautiful marriage. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was definitely one of my favorite peppers last year. And I really also loved, um, the KS, uh, lemon starburst pepper, the yellow one. I think, I think I gave you a couple to try. They were super hot and fruity kind of like had, had such an incredible aroma to them. I mean, like that aroma just lingered. I've never had a pepper that I've had that smell around for, I mean, like 20 minutes and it's just, I was really obsessed with the smell of it. Um, and it brought a lot of heat <laughs> too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that, that was just the, I think the really cool thing just about peppers in general, but especially some of these like really unique, uh, I think hotter ones is that, the, yeah, their mm-hmm. aroma, they're just little, like, it's almost like flowery in mm-hmm. just how it, it's like so bright and, uh, yeah kind of nuance with some of the, the flavor. And, and I, that's why I think hot sauce and fermentation and other things. Uh, I mean, I, I always suggest taking like a little sliver and having it and you can just get that so intensely, but for yeah. me to realistically use it <laughs> and, and get that benefit, <laughs> it, it's nice to kind of blend it together. Um, yeah, with absolutely. Other or, or sometimes I think the fermentation can calm down the heat uh, when, when you yep. make the sauce. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And there's, I mean, I'm growing, I tried to limit myself this year, but I think I'm growing like 60 varieties this year. Um, and I'm really excited about so many of them, but I, um, I got some seeds from, um, somebody in one of my pepper online groups, uh, from the Amazon rainforest and it's called the ahi honey pepper. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what that flavor is like, because I am obsessed with with a lot of ahi peppers. Um, I yeah. love the ahi amarillo. And so I think that the flavor is supposed to be really amazing. So I'm really looking forward to trying oh, that one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, I, it's the days are getting longer. It, it's right I know. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> Emily, well, well, thank you so much. And I guess uh, just thank before you. we go, where can folks follow you, these developments? Uh, I, I kind of know, but give, give give a plug because yeah. I, I love following your Instagram. It's just, oh, you. you're always working on cool new things, but uh, yeah, <laughs> where, where can folks find you? Um, yeah, it's just F word farm on Instagram. Um, no dashes, just F word farm. Straight up. Cool. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> Definitely give Emily an F word farm a follow. Uh, they're doing really cool things and it's really fun seeing all their pepper varieties come into season as well which is right around the corner so now we're going to kick it over and interview andre k mills he did the illustration of kind of the scorpion pepper and the buildings the mill buildings on the mayor right by the merrimack river Uh, he is an artist at western app studios which you'll hear more about right now can you start off by letting people know where, first off, they can find your artwork um, both in person and online and also give people an introduction to your artwork? Sure, sure, yeah, yeah, thanks, Brian. Um, they, my name is Andre K. Mills and I, am, I have a studio at Western F Studios here in Lowell, Massachusetts. Um, they can, online, they can find my artwork at andrekmills.com and um and also if you visit western app for open studios you can see some of my work there there too that's the 
the first Saturday of every month, right? That is correct. First Saturday of every month from noon to 5 p.m. Um, and usually when it gets to the holidays, we might have it a couple of times a month. And um, as far as my artwork, so uh, I'm an illustrator, comic artist. So I also do book illustration, graphic design, have a graphic design business, um, AKM Graphics, where I help companies with their branding. So I do logos. Um, business card design, web design, and some animation work. Um, so, and that is um, akmgraphics.com. You can find that stuff there too. Sweet. So you have a, a connection to an ingredient that's in this hot sauce, uh, a quite potent uh, and special ingredient, um, but you also have it um, illustrated and drawn on the, the label. Um, so, uh, the the ingredient is uh, specifically the chocolate scorpion pepper, um, but you have a, a connection to the scorpion pepper and and kind of your your own origin uh, and everything. So can you kind of share more about that connection and and where you grew up? Sure. So I was born and I grew I grew up for the most part in Jamaica. So and. The scorpion pepper is from Barbados, which is in, I think we have Barbados, right? Yeah. And that's in the Caribbean. So, and we have the scotch bonnet pepper, which is in Jamaica. So, um, you know, I, I guess us Caribbean island folks, we we like the spicy stuff. So um, I'm looking forward to getting a piece of that uh, scorpion, that chocolate um, pepper there. So, yeah, I, I've talked to people kind of in uh, some of the, the Caribbean area. And, and uh, I know I had a couple of podcasts in the past with people from Trinidad and Tobago, and, and they talked about kind of pepper sauce, how every family has a, a pepper sauce. And um, I know with Jamaica, there's a lot of kind of jerk style, which mm-hmm. was, was kind of used for preserving meat and then kind of had that, those some spicy ingredients, but um, what are like, what were, did you like partake in eating scorpion peppers, uh, or is that just kind of something that was around? I'm just curious what kind of, how, how peppers were in your life or, or a lot of Jamaicans lives. So uh, a lot of it, the, the, uh, for, for me, it would be more like the jerk chicken, right? So that, that's where the, the spicy stuff came from. Um, a lot of the, especially in my family, um, the sauces were more on the the mild but flavor side of things. Yeah. Um, so growing up, the jerk chicken was the, was a big thing. If you want to heat, then you got the jerk chicken. Um, and some dishes they did use more the scotch bonnet. Um, I never really heard much of the um, the scorpion pepper. You know, maybe that picked up steam um, later, but um, you know, for in on our island, it was more the Scotch bonnet more than the the scorpion pepper. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're pretty similar in that they're kind of like flowery notes and definitely fiery. Um, but yeah, kind of like citrusy and uh, I think with the the chocolate ver like Trinidad score, it, it's um, well, we'll actually have Emily do a deep deep dive and maybe we'll we'll do some taste testing on uh, the interview. <laughs> but it's um, I, I'd say it's a you do have kind of that savory chocolate note, which, which is cool how it comes out with, with this sauce that we did. Cool. So actually when, when did you come to the, to the U S 
would love to learn more about that kind of journey from Jamaica. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I came to the States. I'll I'll give my age here. I came to the States when I was 13 and that was back in 78. So I came in October of 78. So you you were there for the blizzard? Or no, no, no. I missed the blizzard. blizzard I missed the blizzard. Okay. That's in February. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, that was February. Yeah. (laughs) I heard stories about the blizzard. That's all everybody talked about when I came here was uh, <laughs> the blizzard of 78. Yeah. So yeah, we missed the, we missed the blizzard. So. And, and did you come to Massachusetts or, or where did you go? Yeah. Um, Lowell was the first place uh, our family came. We had some family here and I had, uh, my grandmother was here. My grandfather, aunts, um, uncles were here. So yeah, there was a good few of us that were here. So when uh, we came over, we kind of stopped here and um, kind of put a brutes right here in, in Lowell, Mass. So I think like Lowell definitely has a history of having a lot of immigrants come here. What? Yeah, I, I guess what was that? What was that? Was there a lot of different people around Lowell? So as far as yeah, so I guess that was a, a little. Um, culture shock, a lot of change, a uh, big change in environment. Um, and back then I had a strong Jamaican accent. So um, it took a while for people to A, understand what I was saying. And I had to work on um, slowing my speech down so people could un- definitely understand what I was saying. So that was some practice there. Um, but, you know, difference in the, the buildings from here to in the Caribbean, because it's more of a brick and mortar buildings that I grew up with, where here it's more wooden paneling kind of thing. So that was a, a little change uh, to get used to. And just the uh, different nationalities around, right? So now that, that took a while to get used to. You know, a lot of our, a lot of my neighbors back then were, were Greek. So, you know, so between the Greeks and the Portuguese, that was kind of what uh, was around us. Yeah, yeah. And were you uh, involved in, in art and illustration, or, or uh, I mean, if you if you were if you're doing illustration for comic books, I'm sure you had kind of a, a love and connection for that at, at some point too. But uh, did, yeah, were you involved in art? Um, but before coming, yeah, I, yeah, I always uh, loved to draw, and I um, for high school I went to a greater local location. So I went to the Vogue for high school, and that's when um, I really, my yeah, like I said, the field I picked up or concentrated on was commercial art back then. And then after that, you know, when, when I went to college, I went to for college for art. I was an art major, so I, I kind of continued it on until after school. I uh, ended up in the semiconductor industry, but I still freelanced every now and then drawing drawing and and then in 2012 i started akm graphics and 2015 i started doing this full-time awesome i think uh we we've talked uh before we, we've done kind of some uh we, we've done e for all um which is kind of a accelerated program for businesses and and they have a chapter in uh, Lowell and lawrence but a lot of other places i think there's like 13 or 15 different chapters and one thing I, I, I like really enjoyed 
the community and connection with our cohort and other entrepreneurs and, and other people through the program. But when I kind of walk into Western app studios, especially the open studios and, and I just sense kind of this collaboration and just, it, it, it's, it's, I don't want to say magic, like it's magical. Like, I guess that, I don't know. Yeah, I guess maybe it is definitely, definitely uh, sometimes just like seeing all the artwork and, and the old mill building and, and, and everything. But um, do you kind of get a lot of energy and inspiration from the community around you kind of where you're at? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a great community. And it's very inspirational when you walk around, you know, it, it puts you in your A game, just walking around, seeing all the crazy great artists that's around here, the work that they do and the, what they produce, it, it, put, it keeps you, keeps you on your toes, makes you, makes you want to produce something top notch all the time. And it's, and everyone around here is pretty friendly and, and collaborative. So, you know, if you have a question or, something everyone's pretty open and friendly to work with. So it's, 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 if you want to call it magical, it's definitely. a great <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe I should have been more confident with that. Thank you. <laughs> cool. Andre, nice job. Like the illustration's awesome. It, it, it's really cool uh, to have seen this all come together and, and appreciate your energy and, and work in the collaboration. And uh, yeah, I uh, ho- hope the listeners get to, um, check out uh, Andre's work definitely. And then also come in person sometime to, to Western app studios, but, but thank you very much, Andre. Yeah. Thanks for, yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. I, I like that. That was, that was good. Um, I definitely appreciate the opportunity to, to put something on one of your labels there. Awesome. I'm just so happy with how that illustration and the label came out. Uh, we were talking originally about having kind of like a monster in the on the river and, and by the mill and, and then it just like it was going to be a little bit too much but the, it's great how like the scorpion pepper almost kind of looks like that monster and that's just bringing the heat and yeah definitely got to go check out his work at western app studios uh, and definitely on his website as well but definitely recommend going in person on on one of their open studio dates and 15 feet from Andre's doors, the door to Navigation Brewery, where you'll find PJ uh, and the, the Navigation crew. Uh, PJ and his partner opened up Navigation Brewery eight years ago. Uh, so they're celebrating their eight-year anniversary on St. Patrick's Day. So you're going to hear from PJ. So PJ, yes, we're, we're elevating the voice now. Uh, yeah, uh, We're kicked off, but why, why don't you start off introducing yourself and Navigation Brewery. All right. I'm uh, PJ Mercia from Navigation Brewing Company. Uh, we have been brewing beer in the city of Lowell for eight years now, actually as of March 17th, which uh, is our anniversary. Uh, it just happens to fall on St. Patrick's Day and uh, the release. Yeah. Hey, that, that was oh, our crack sauce. Yeah, that, that, uh, that convenience. Was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that was our first time selling crack sauce. Like we, we were bottling it that winter, but we, we did on St. Patrick's Day. So yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. All that's awesome. Yeah. That's a, so it's a, both of our anniversaries. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yep. Nope. We've been just doing that. We've been doing our thing here in Lowell, uh, over at Western Avenue studios and, uh, plugging away, brewing the heck out of anything we can brew. So awesome. Yeah. So I, I was, uh, in last week and I, I, learned for the first time that you, you were a milkman uh on on your journey and i wanted <laughs> yeah. i want to know where on your kind of journey to brewing 
and, and beer was, was that a like a place on your journey like i'm curious just like how you kind of got into it so uh, and, yeah so brewing was actually something i was not done back to the milk thing that was when i was a kid i lived down the street from shaw farm and yep. my job was to, from the house was to go down and pick up the milk and bring it home every week that was my job i got on my bike and went down there and in the rain or snow i usually walked because the bike was you know <laughs> yeah. that wind in your face gets a little bad so and i literally live right down the street from a couple hundred yards down from the dairy farm so we did that but no i um I I, uh, I grew up in Drakeit and um, went to uh, community college, became a land surveyor, and then uh, met my wife and when I, well my fiance my girlfriend at the time and then when I met her I had, uh, her father was a home brewer and that's my business partner Bob and uh, trying to woo his approval I had uh, brewed a couple beers with him and just found it to be fascinating and then uh, we always joked about someday opening up a brewery. Um, and then one day he came to me and said, hey, I'm retiring and going like, you know, part time, uh, like a consultant job. So I'll have all this time. You want to brew some beer together? And I was like, let's do it. And from there, it just it blew up. You know, we, we rented a little garage bay. It took us a long time to find a spot. But we ended up finding somebody else who was brewing there, uh, decided he didn't want to do it anymore in that location. So we literally went in, bought up all his equipment. Um, got our paperwork done, get everything away, took over his lease. And then, um, a year and a half later realized that, you know, uh, we couldn't even keep up with the demand. Mm. So we needed a bigger space, uh, that moved us over to Western Ave. And from Western Ave, we've just grown organically, um, you know, word of mouth and social media, uh, people coming down to visit it happened to be during the big boom of craft beer so it was very beneficial to us and um now we're just at where we are trying to expand again eight years later so yeah yeah well i mean i i i'm curious like when you're making that leap from to like make it a business there's obviously probably pieces and parts that you like you do it for a reason because probably probably because you love it yeah yeah yeah. i'm curious like what 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 it was it is it like because I feel like with beer, there's so many, and a lot, and pretty much anything you make, there's a lot of different directions you can go. Oh yeah, uh, but there's also just so much, so much. Everything is so like uh, there's so much work behind everything that you have to do at the same time. Yes. So uh, yeah, no, I mean we're just so we we uh, you know getting into it and and, and brewing in brewing is that's what you're at more so the recipe development and all yeah, that. Yeah. So yeah, thankfully my father-in-law Bob he had been brewing like 30 years home brewing he was winning international awards as a home brewer up against breweries like in germany and belgium uh, you know he, and then he 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 was brewing before it was cool to brew really yeah. um it was before the internet so it was a lot of um trial and error from his pot yeah. but he's got a scientist brain uh and and, and, uh, and he's kind of just got that engineering brain behind him where he was able to fine-tune recipes um so what we did is we just we've since then we've kind of taken his recipe like you can really take a base recipe of let's say like a pale ale and just changing the hops around on, on that you're getting a whole completely different beer you can change the hops around you can change the yeast around or you can mess around with um you know different grains yeah. uh, so it, it's it's a constant evolution it's constantly evolving because you're trying to keep up with the times like when we first started brewing new england ipas weren't even a thing yeah um now we're brewing a whole ton of new england ipas it really is just a matter of 
fine-tuning some of the, your techniques and all that other stuff um, in, in the recipe, you may ch- it, it comes from the yeast or it comes from grain. Instead of using, you know, carapils, you might be using some oat or you might be filling that in with wheat. Yeah. Um, so that's going to change. That's going to change it around. But it, it more so, it's a It's just a. It's a back knowledge of what the ingredients are going to do to kind of get you to where you think you're going to be, yep. and then fine tuning that afterwards. Yep. I, and I think that's what's so cool about collaborations because, like, collaborations. I think they take you out of your your own world. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you get something totally different and that was something that was cool with, with me working on this recipe was was having this beer vinegar which i've never done which before. you've never done before right? but i'm yeah. sure like i know you've done a lot of collabs like do you yeah. have any of like kind of most memorable ones or ones that kind of were some of your favorites so they're all my favorites because yeah, you're yeah. working with different so our collaborations are a little bit different we're working with another brewery right so we're working with another brewery where it's either going to be their recipe our recipe or a combination of thereof um, the first one we ever did was with Amory's Tomb. Uh, we did one with them. It was a collaboration uh, where we did a, um, it was a Saison. So they supplied, uh, we had gotten their ingredients, we got everything together, and we tweaked a few things and said, okay, let's go for it with it from here. Um, the other ones we have done, we, uh, we did a collaboration with Channel Marker where we just used, they had a recipe ready to go. So they just said, hey, we need X amount of hops. Do you guys have this particular hop? Yep, we have it. We'll bring it with us. And then when they came down here, they just did the same thing. We said, hey, we're going to change that hop out that we brought to you. You guys throw a hop at us and let's just let's go with it. It's going to be a good beer anyway. We already knew it was a really good recipe. Um, when we did our collaboration with uh, Lost Shoes, it was very similar to that, but it was more on the lines of, okay, let's brew with something different. Uh, different, uh, something different that hasn't been around for a while. So it was a West Coast style IPA. They're around, but they're not reverent. You know, they're not brewed yep. constantly like like a New England style or just a standard um, uh, IPA is. So we kind of that was our recipe, and we brought that down to uh, Lost Shoes. Uh, we put the recipe together there, and he had tweaked a few things on his end based off of the ingredients he had. So he didn't want us to have to bring the ingredients down. It's just easier. So he said, hey, listen, I tweaked a few things, but the beer came out good. We, we came up here and brewed the original recipe afterwards. So those are kind of collabs. Yeah, yeah. But it's more so a learning experience from the two brewers. Like, hey, how do you do this and how do you yep. do that? Yep. Oh, I noticed you do you use that equipment instead of this equipment. Um, and, and knowing that in the end you're all getting the same results. Yep. but. It's just cool to see the different techniques and how yeah. everybody does everything. I'm sure it's the same with you. You're probably, you know, it, for us, it's it's literally like, do you mash in the malt, like the, 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 the um, are you adding the specialty malts as you're adding your base malt, or are you adding your base malt uh, last, or are you doing it first, or however it is. So everybody has their own little technique type stuff. And then there's other ways, you know, techniques of how uh, how they uh, they tweak things on, some guys will tweak it. You're doing 60-minute boils, 90-minute boils, so you kind of got to adjust for um, boil offs. But in the slow, in the same sense, you're still trying to. You're coming up with the same thing. Yeah. But that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Like it's endless. It's, it's endless. Yeah. It's so endless. Yeah. I tell people that all the time. You know, our possibilities are endless because, yeah. you know, how our like our uncharted series, right? Well, that's our sort of our own little collaboration. What we do is we came up with the base recipe and said, okay, we know that this base recipe is going to be really good. We've brewed this beer before. It's going to be good. Let's switch around the hot. Let's switch around the hot profile. So, we did Uncharted, uh, one, two, and three. Two, three separate beers, 
exact same recipe, exact same yeast profile, yeast, but we changed the hop profile. Yeah. You know, we did Galaxy and, I don't know, Citra on the first one. The next one we did Mosaic and Galaxy. And then the next one we said, you know what? Let's do Centennial, Cascade, and Columbus. And boom, you get the same thing. And then you know, four, you can do the same. You know, four, you can do the same thing. Yeah. And Again, that's, that's possibility, so, the possibilities are so literally cool to endless. have hundreds of people here that are trying it on the spot and, and yeah, just like yeah, yeah, giving yeah. their thoughts and, and, and everything. And thankfully, we have a really good recipe. We, you know, we, t- we take... I credit Bob for this one, extensive note-taking. So you're taking all kinds of different notes, when time of year you're doing it, what yeast you did, who that yeast came from. If you substituted a pale ale, like were you using raw pale ale or or, uh, two-row? Oh, no, we didn't have any of that, so we used, you know, uh, two tracks. Did that change the difference? And in some cases it does. A lot of times it doesn't. A lot of times they get their... their, it really comes down to the malt, the the, the grain, um, uh, grinding of the grain, uh, the grist. So you, you, you're coming up with that instead. Um, it there are so many different possibilities. I mean, we you can can you replicate it? Yes. Will the beer be exactly the same? It's never going to be the only the same. Yeah. The only people that are really doing that are the big guys. Yeah. Your cores, your miller. They're, they're on automated systems. They're getting all their stuff from the same thing. They're putting the exact same thing in there every single time. Their equipment is far exceeding just about anybody else's um and and they're able to do that type yeah. of stuff yeah. um small craft breweries really can't but you can it's enough that i can notice you may not and by the time that beer comes back around again it's already been gone three months anyway so it maybe have a little bit of tweaks yeah. or something like that but i, I mean peppers malt, it's, it's the same, same thing. thing you can get you your peppers exactly you can get your peppers from let's well, say horn farm right but if you have to substitute because they didn't have enough and you have to go down the road to brock's farm let's say and get them are they the same type of pepper yeah but the different soils the yep. different it's going to change a, a little bit of everything in that right yep. but not enough for maybe me to notice who's, who's having the sauce you know, a couple times a week in a new batch, and I'm not going to notice the difference, yeah. really. You might. But that's why I always recommend, like, just as you were saying, measure, take no- like, I, oh, the note taking, yeah, notes, yeah, and then uh, your recipe, tasting, tasting yeah, tasting is a big yeah. thing, and we're doing that all the time in house, and I'll be able to tell that. But there's also different things too, like how how long the hops are sitting in the in the on yeah. on the beer. Like, you want to try to get those hops off as quickly as possible in some cases, some types of beers, because you don't want that spicy bitterness in the beer you want more of a smooth fruitiness out of it so you got to pull those hops quicker but it's constant yeah you know just constant uh every day that's why it's a it's literally a 12 hour day four o'clock in the morning to to four o'clock at night every day you're in here and you're constantly like oh wait a minute i got a cold crash this beer like right now because it's perfect how it is. That's exactly what I want. If I would have waited another day, that beer could be tweaked a little bit. You know, again, something that the customer is probably not going to notice. Yeah. They're going to like that beer anyway. But for us, we're looking for a certain, certain taste, certain feel, certain yeah. notes out of out of it. So, so we used your black pepper porter. Yes, uh, we used it two ways. So yeah, we yeah, we, uh, uh, we we were caramelizing the onions. Uh, we we kind of doused it it, uh, just put it in there and it kind of went into the base of like the onions the sweet potato garlic uh that that was amazing but then emily uh from f word farm took uh your your black pepper porter and got a 
she's going to go into much more greater detail. I don't want to yeah, mess this yeah, up. But yeah. yeah, she made a beautiful She, she did something different. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but tell, tell us about the black pepper porter. So the black pepper porter started off as something that we, uh, we really didn't know how that beer was going to be going, right? So we, when we first brewed that beer, Bob had messed around with it when he was home brewing before. He had, he had brewed it a couple times, um, and it was a bigger, it was a lot bigger beer. Um, the thing with you when you're serving, and when I say bigger beer, it had a higher alcohol content. Okay. Uh, it was more of a doubleish porter, and what we did was we we toned that thing down because when you're selling it at a tap room, you don't want to be selling eight, nine, ten percent beers, right? It's just not responsible. Uh, that's the beers that you want to like kind of can up and get out the door. But we wanted something that was going to be approachable. So the first time we ever brewed it, we did not know. Like we had, we had we had changed the recipe around, and we kind of went at it. That's like you know what, we're just going to go brew a big batch of this because we're confident in the in the recipe, we're confident in it all. But we just don't know how people are going to respond to it. You never know how they're going to respond to it. Anytime have, you have, have you done some uh, porters before? And, oh yeah, yeah, we've done porters before. Yeah. So we took we took a, 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 a basic Bob's basic uh, American style porter. Yeah. He had taken that. And what we had done with that beer is we actually, um, excuse me, it wasn't, a, it wasn't the American porter. It was an English porter. So we had taken that English porter and we were like, you know what, let's, let's, Bob's like, I, I got this thing. I really want to add black pepper to it, but we don't want to add, we don't want to over pepper it. So the first time we ever brewed it, we brewed it all up and it was, you could taste the pepper on it. Um, but people were actually asking for more pepper. they like, no, you know, this beer is awesome. We love it. What would it be like if you, you know, add more pepper? So we're like, yeah. you know, the second time around, we're gonna we doubled up the pepper, and you, you could still it was still like faint, but you could you know you could taste peppery, you know, the pepperiness in it, and it, the warmer the beer got, the better, it, the more peppery it tasted. It was a very big after finish. People went nuts over the beer. I mean, they went nuts over it. We have people that actually made their own T-shirts over over this. Beer. Really? Yeah, yeah. We actually have somebody that actually made their own T-shirt. I, like, I, I love black pepper porter, and, awesome. and it was like navigation <laughs> on the back. She paid money to go and have her. Anyway, so we we realized at that point, like, hey, this this beer's got something behind it because you really never know. I mean, you could add something to the, uh, uh, any type of beer, and then people are like. Ugh. Yeah. But this one, it just blew off. So what we did on this beer, it actually originally started brewing, and I believe it was coming in around 7%, and then um, maybe slightly under. And what we wanted to do is tone that beer down a little bit, uh, just to make it more approachable. So we, over the years, we have t- toned it down, and we brought that beer down to, I think it's like a 5 or 6 I think it's at 6%. I, it's so hard to remember them all. But I think we brought it down to like 6%, and we've left it there for the last two years. So the last two years, you're not going to see any really difference in them. Now, if you hold on to a can from last year and then take this year's, you're going to notice a difference because yep. it's aged, yep. right? But yeah, that, that recipe is pretty lock solid now. We've got we've brewed that beer enough that we know we're we're, we're lock solid consistent on it. Uh, it's just something unique. It's different. We like to call it steak in a glass because that's what it kind of tastes like. Yeah. It tastes like that old steak, salted like peppery steak that you just that's it. No marinade, yeah. no nothing. Just well, you know. well, I'm super glad how it came out in the sauce because like kind of as you said that it it, it is the, how the sauce came out which we, we got a bottle here. Oh, boy. Uh, it, it, it's kind of like that. It, it's almost got an A1 vibe to an it. An A1 uh, vibe, oh, but, which is but, really cool. Yeah, yeah, but it, the, the, the flavor of it came out um, for sure. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty thick. <laughs> it's thick stuff, but that's all right. Yeah, yeah, they, they're getting their oh, Actually, there's some right in there I can try. Yeah. I want to try that, yeah. so. But, 
Oh yeah. Ooh, that is hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we put just uh we put ten times more That's like peppery. A, uh, really, really peppery too. That's yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, full disclosure, I am not a big hot sauce person because I instantly turn red. I love hot <laughs> sauce. My stomach doesn't agree with it. Yeah, yeah. And that's the problem. So my wife teases me because she'll take out like a towel when I start eating hot sauce. And um, my, my kids love it. And they would love this. So. Yeah. Because they're always complaining. I don't think it's hot enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like kids, yeah. I'm not quite one of those that are just like <laughs> yeah. 100% reaper. But yeah. No, that is really. So what did you use? What kind of peppers did you use in that? So, uh, Emily from Effort Farm, she was growing these chocolate scorpion peppers. Uh, That's what that and, is. And so, those are, they're, they're super hot yeah. and have kind of a... They do have a, a chocolate. I'm tasting yeah, like they, a, yep. it's something roasty, you know, it's like a yep. roasty... So, then we also fire roasted uh, jalapeno and poblano peppers. Oh, okay. And, right. and carrots and sweet potatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, kind of the works, but... And that, yeah. so the sweet potatoes and carrot, is that to simmer it down a little bit to, to kind of like... Level it out. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, give it a yeah. little more consistency. Yep. Like a little more yeah, texture maybe, maybe to it. it. Kind of bring it more onto the savory side. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It, and it did a good job of, of kind of not taking away too much of, of some of the other yeah. ingredients in there, like the black garlic. And yeah. Too. That, so. That's... Uh, that's gonna be a good. That's gonna be a nice seller. They're gonna go nuts over yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, no, we'll, we'll uh, be sure to come over here. Yeah, well, you got some festivities coming up. Uh, yeah, there. yeah. We have uh, so we having on uh, on on March 11th. We're having the 2020 the 2020 2021 St. Patrick's party that would have happened. So those that's when we're getting the. Um, we got a guy coming in bagpipes. We have some uh, uh, local. Um, dance studio who's bringing down some of the some of the younger girls they have uh they're like uh elementary grade girls and they they'll come in and do some um uh uh, dancing, they're, they're incredible. And they're awesome. Yeah, yeah, they just they're, they're step dancing, yeah, right? Yeah. So they'll come in, they do their thing, and they like it. A lot of the parents like to come down and do that anyway. They come and hang out here, so it's kind of like a group. Of, I think it's like a dozen of them or so. So they're gonna bring the, stu- the school down. It'll be cute as heck. The girls will be all dressed up in their Irish, you know, clothing, and and uh, they're gonna dance to the bagpipers. And then we have another guy who's gonna be doing some um, some uh, Irish poetry reading, and then uh, we have. Um, uh, uh, I think we have a who else is coming out? There's another local musician, um, uh, Hal Holiday and uh, Di, uh, Eric. I think it's Eric Dyer. Uh, Dyer, Dyer Holiday or Holiday Dyer? I forget how they call the uh, the band, but those guys are going to come down and play some stuff. And of course, we'll have the Iversons up there um, doing their uh, pouring the beer and stuff like that. But it's going to be a good time. Yeah, yeah. And then we're going to do the traditional. Thing. So then we'll have that, and then Phoenix Rising will be here on the 11th as well kind of doing uh, Irish themed pizzas oh, so <laughs> I don't know if they're going to do corned beef yeah, on the pizza yeah, or yeah. what but I'm, they've, they've done something like that That's before cool. where this would be pretty cool and then on the regular St. Patrick's Day or the proper St. Patrick's Day we're going to open up a little earlier we have Bone Town Burgers coming down they're going to be doing some um, some uh, Irish style like uh, spring roll stuff oh nice uh, and I, there's a name for them I forget what they're called um they're going to be doing those, and then we're just going to have regular our releasing our Irish stout that day as well. So that's something we we, we brew every year for St. Patrick's Day. Uh, it gets packaged a week, two weeks before. We let it condition for a while. It's a four point two percent Irish dry Irish stout, uh, and uh, it uh, is a crush. Yeah, that's my, yeah, that's my yeah. favorite. That, that's my yeah. favorite too. Yeah, yeah. I my transition to craft beer was Guinness. Okay, that was my thing. So yeah. I would drink Guinness because all my friends 
at the time. You know, you're young, you're 21, 22, 23 years old, you go into parties, you bring a 30-pack of Coors Light or Budweiser, you set it down at the party, put it in the cooler, you go back an hour later and ha- your beers are gone. So I just said, you know, I'm sick and tired of buying these beers and like, and then having to run to the store. So I just started drinking stuff that nobody else would drink. So when I walked into a store one day, I said, give me the darkest thing you have. The guy threw some Guinness at me and I'm like, this stuff is awesome. <laughs> and then I found out that it was on Nitro and like the authentic, you know, when you, well, not the authentic, yeah. but if you go to a lot of the Americanized Irish pubs, they it's, put it on Nitro and, and I soon learned the more Irish they are, the fresher the beer is because yep. they go through yep. it all the time. Yep. I got hooked on it. Yeah, it was all, it was my beer. I mean, my friends would buy me T-shirts for my birthday that had Guinness. If, and, if you, if you uh, go to I, Ireland, you might not be, come back after I would, after I, those pubs and everything. My only place I plan on going overseas. I have two places. Sorry, There's, there are two places. Ireland is one of them, but I do not want to go to Dublin. I want to go to the outskirts, yeah. to the villages. I want to go to the where this. I cannot understand a single word they're saying. Sit down and just drink. Drink all day in the pub and have a great time. I got some friends for you there. Yes. Russian Amanya in Connemara. That's where I want to go. And then the other place I'd like to go someday is Scotland, too. That that would be the other place. And just because it's just, it looks beautiful. And both of them kind of resemble each other, I think. You know, that green pastures in the, the, uh, I don't know. It's like a, I just want to go like a sheep town, you know, out in the sticks. It's rugged, it's windy. And that's that's where I want to go. I just want to see that. I mean, one of my favorite movies of all time is Chasing a Divine. Awakening. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that awesome. and that—that's all I picture. Is like yeah. literally sitting at one of those places where you have to like, if I have to go use a phone, I have to like take a pedal bike to a table. <laughs> like, that's what I outside of Skirts of City. Like that's why I want to do it. So yeah, that's, awesome. that's Awakening at Event. It is one of my favorite movies. So yeah. the uh, but anyway, yeah, that's that man. I mean, that's the gist of everything and you know yeah. everything up until this point. But well, I'm just happy we've built a relationship <laughs> with with the sauce and. Absolutely. And the beer now it, in the it, sauce is actually yeah. really cool because this might be the first sauce that our beer is in. We were in soaps. We've been in shampoos. <laughs> um, we've done, like, they've done a lot of, like, sweets, like, stuff with it. Like, we've done, um, some people have done, like, mousses and, uh, and frostings with our beer. Uh, preferably, they usually use the milk stout. Um, but nothing. We've never been in a, a hot sauce, and I it, think that it, it is works. Awesome. Yeah, it, it definitely works. So, yeah. No, th- thanks for being up for it as always. Oh, yeah. and, uh, Anytime yeah. or something like this. I, I this, this, to me, this is awesome. So. Well, that's it. The Merrimack Black. Hope you enjoyed learning more about what went behind it. Uh, I had a, a, fu- a really fun time. Learned a lot, and I think it's going to be the first of many future collaborations. Uh, if you have any ideas of collaborations, leave, uh, I guess you could leave a comment in the reviews. Uh, you, could, you could kill two burns of one stone there. So yeah, leave us a review, drop us a line. We have a, our, our Craft Hot Sauce newsletter on our website, crafthotsauce.com, that you can check out. Um, but we'd love to hear from you and always appreciate a review or just telling a friend about it. Uh, we got some future podcasts lined up. We got Chris Schlesinger. Uh, the James Beard Award-winning chef talking about Inner Beauty Hot Sauce, this hot sauce that had a cult following that really put Boston on the map uh, for spicy foods in the 80s and has developed some legendary cookbooks about grilling and cooking over fire. So that's an awesome guest. And we also had another awesome interview with Sarah Marshall of Marshall's Hot Sauce. Uh, So yeah, We got some fun episodes kicked off, but let's just continue the party. 
with the party band, their song Mud. Go check out their band camp. Turn this up and have a wonderful day, people. Thank you. Thank you.